Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. The Death Dialogues Project is a grassroots movement with an aim of getting conversations of death, dying, and the aftermath out of the closet and into the light. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of tragedy and triumph and breaking down and rebuilding lives, and we also frequently hear glimpses into the great beyond. We are so glad you're joining us on our journey. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Join us today for a conversation with Caroline Schrank. She's a funeral director, and she got into that after planning funerals for her parents eight years apart. Caroline today shares her personal stories of loss and grief with us and how her goal is now to educate and inform people that death and funerals aren't one size fits all and that you have a variety of options. You just have to ask. Caroline runs Down to Earth Funerals in New York City in the USA. Help me welcome Caroline to today's episode. I'd like to welcome Caroline Shrink to today's episode. Thanks so much for being here, Caroline. Thank you for having me. So exciting. I'm so excited too. <laughs> Caroline, can you just give us a little idea of where you are in the world and maybe just start from the very beginning of your story and tell us how you ended up taking this current life path you're on? Well, um, currently I am in New York City um, on the Upper West Side. Um, where I live uh, currently. I have two sons. One is in boarding school in ninth grade and one is here in the city. Um, And I grew up in New Jersey. Um, My parents were both from the city. My dad was from the Bronx and my mom grew up about 13 blocks from where I'm sitting right now. Um, And I would have to say that I grew up about as far away from death, as one can imagine, especially mm. for a funeral director. Um, death was definitely a very covert, secretive, something that happened behind closed doors and was never talked about and was and never really shared in any kind of way, um, which I have to say is really when when we think about death and we think about how we relate to it, it's really comes to how we're brought up with it. I mean, it's just, it's how we're, you know, how, how our family situations evolve. And um, it's just, if you're brought up to be afraid of it, you're, you're pretty much going to be afraid of it as an adult. And um, so Basically, um, as a funeral director, the actual dying process to me is still somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the most comfortable with the dying process. Um, I'm comfortable with helping the people uh, come through the aftermath, Um, but I am not, uh, I'm not going to be the funeral director who's at the bedside while the person is passing. In fact, most funeral directors aren't. But um, to say that I came around from my fear, I would say was when my grandmother, um, who was 90, 
I'm sorry. She was a hundred. She was a hundred point five. She was in a nursing home in New Jersey and I was in my twenties and I had what we have in New York city. A lot of people in their twenties have um, timeshares near the beach in the Hamptons. And I was filling up my car with gas and I was taking a week's mm. vacation to go to the Hamptons. And my uncle called me, my, my mother's brother. And she, he said to me that my grandmother had stopped eating and drinking. And instead of, going to the Hamptons, I drove to New Jersey. And when I got in the room, um, my parents were there, although they had not informed me that my grandmother was not not eating or drinking and not doing well. And, um, and my and my parents were there, my uncle was there, my brother and his wife. And, um, you know, my grandmother had lived an amazing life. She was she was a hundred. We had just celebrated her birthday. Um, but I was extremely close to her and there was no way I was leaving her there. And my mother, who's sort of the, I kind of call her now that I have the language of pre-plan because that's what one does when they're planning their funeral beforehand and making their arrangements. I call her pre-plan bully when she was alive because she was just, Nothing scared her when it came to the actual logistics. So while I'm in my grandmother's nursing home room, my mother's putting away pictures. I think at one point she almost tried to like take my grandmother's wedding ring off her finger, which had been on there for, you know, 75 years, even though my grandfather passed away. And shortly after the visit, you know, was concluding, my parents said, get in the car, you have to go to the Hamptons. I was single at the time. And I think they really wanted me to go and meet a man. (laughs) And they said, Uh you have to go away, you have to go away. And I said, you know, I listened to them, even though I had other plans. And there was basically like a police escort to like escort me onto the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey to like make sure I had left my grandmother alone to die in a nursing home. Um, So I lost my parents shortly on the highway and I turned around, I went back and I called my, (laughs) I called my sister-in-law because my brother and sister-in-law lived nearby. And the first thing she said to me before she said hello was you turned around, didn't you? And I said, of course I turned around. So (laughs) I, go ahead. I'm just giggling Uh, a little bit over here. (laughs) So I spent the next seven days with my grandmother. I sat with her. I tried to get her to drink, even though she she really had made a decision to stop. Um, can can we stop for a second? And yeah, can I ask? Yeah, yeah. What relative to my giggle? So what what did your parents? How did they react when you actually made it back around when they saw that they weren't successful in keeping um, you away? You know, they had, they couldn't say anything. I mean, I think that they were, I I, I think that they were disappointed, but I don't think that they could say anything. I think that they just, we just, yeah, they just. They accepted it then. They accepted it. At that point, they accepted it. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I sat with her and it, it, again, it, it was my thing, but it wasn't my thing. I really didn't like being alone there. I 
called my sister and asked her to come. She lived in Boston at the time. And I tried to get my mother to come back, but that wasn't happening. So I really basically was alone. And um, I was with her all week. And I remember her roommate said to me um, towards maybe the fourth or fifth day, she said, you know, I feel her in the middle of the night and I feel as though she's going to go, but then she just won't. So, um, so we spent the week and then, um, I think it was Friday. So maybe it was Sunday to Friday. I woke up uh, Saturday morning at my brother's house and my sister-in-law said the nursing home had called and four in the morning that she had passed away. So, um, so we buried her, um, on Sunday and, um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And the moral of the story is that my friends who I shared the summer house with said, why don't you come for the long weekend, even though it was Memorial, it was Labor Day weekend and it was packed, but they said, you know, just come. So the truth is, if you give up your Hamptons trip to take care of your grandmother, if there's, if there's a God in the world, you'll get to go for Labor Day weekend in any case. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was my, that was my first real um, experience with someone dying. Um, and the next person to die was my father who um, died nine years ago, and he, um, he was 82 at the time, and he had Alzheimer's for a very short time, maybe two years, and was in a facility and um, came down with pneumonia. And um, again, I was sort of the spearheader. I was the one who was called when he was rushed to the emergency room in New Jersey um, to go and um, meet him there and be with him. And um, he basically was in the hospital for, I'd say over two weeks and they were going to send him to a rehab and then he contracted uh, MRSA and C. diff and he Uh wasn't able to be transferred so then he was transferred to hospice and I don't know if you've seen this but when one goes from the hospital where there's tubes and and beeping and then hospice it's just a beautiful bed with white sheets and no nothing to hook him up to nothing to give him nutrients it's it's hospice and I had never experienced it. And I got there and I looked in the room and I said to the, to the, to the hospice workers, I said, what's going on? Where is everything? And they looked at me and they said, he's in hospice. And I said, so there's no hope. And they looked at me again, like, do you know what the definition of hospice is? But (laughs) basically they said it in a nice way. And the story with my father, which really, um, feeds me when I'm working with families now as a funeral director is that death and funerals are not one size fits all. And um, not every family can do things 
the way you see it either in the movies or the way you envision it where everyone's standing around the bedside and, you know, supporting this person through the transition. It, it, it's, it's for some people, but in my case, when I saw my father um, in the hospice room, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to sit with him anymore. I had been with him in the hospital, but I wasn't able to sit with him through his final transition. And I, I think it's because we were so incredibly close that my energy and my sadness, even if I had tried to be strong, would have, I think it would have affected him. I think it would have made him sad. And I think that sometimes you read about people very often where, you, where you'll hear, oh, I was with my mother all day and I went home to take a shower and she passed away. I mean, that's right. a common thing that you hear because the, it's, it's, it, it must be something, it just must be hard to the energies of, you know, it's hard to explain. It's like I said, it's not one size fits all. Everyone is different. I think I I really appreciate you bringing that up, Caroline, because that's something that um, I think really, really needs to be brought home to our listeners that we give all sorts of examples in our podcast episodes. But, you know, I always say no judgment on the way anybody chooses because it's so individual. And I really hear what you're saying that sometimes, and especially a parent, I mean, I believe there is that dynamic that they're probably caretaking to their very last breath. Right. Yeah. And I know I've heard that so many times myself about how a person um, left, you know, had to leave the room or the family had to finally go home at night or even asked, you know, people being asked by the dying person, you know, Mm -hmm. to please let Mm -hmm. me have some alone time. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody, mm-hmm. yeah, and we need to be, yeah, so important that not to try to be too prescriptive because of the way we want it or the way we've heard it can be done, but really be in the space of listening and knowing our loved one's needs and, um, yeah, yeah, thank you for really, bringing that up. It's, yeah, it's really personal. In fact, I had a very good friend of mine who, when this was happening, said to me, she said, you're going to regret it, and mm. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I think we know, I think we really have to look within ourselves in these moments and, and do what we feel is best. And even if there was a feeling that I might regret it at that moment, it, I could feel my dad's, I, I could not, I just could not do it. And, and it just, it wasn't for us. And um, I, you know, I, I, I spoke with the caregiver who was with him Um, after he died, I spoke with her and she told me, you know, he coughed twice. She was in the bathroom. She came out, he coughed twice and then he passed. Um, so it was peaceful. And I think that, I think also with the movement of death doulas, I think that's also something that, you know, I had a birth doula with my second child and she's the person I wanted there. I didn't want my husband there at that mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. you know she asked me where I wanted him and I really needed her support and I couldn't take care of someone else who had sort of a nervous temperament mm-hmm. so it's also for people have the option if if a loved one is 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 in their you know 
dying phase to, to have support and to have a doula there. Um, and it's, it, it's not taking the work away from you. It's, it's taking the work, you know, into someone who they think is the, maybe the right person at that moment. So like you said, it's a highly personal, highly personal, um, you know, every situation is different. But I will say that when I worked in the funeral home doing my one year residency, there, there was a time I heard one of the funeral directors speak to a family where there was an imminent, as we call it. And he said, okay, go be with, go be with your, go be with your mother now. Go, you know, you can talk to me later, go be with your mother. And I thought, that's not for everyone. Like, it's just not Mm -hmm. for everyone. So, um, that being said, um, my father passed away and, um, I think some of the best training I got, um, for being a funeral director was the day that my father passed away when, I parked my car in a crosswalk and had it towed and had to get out to New Jersey that night to my parents. Um, Basically, you, your head is not your head. Your head is in the clouds. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to make the decisions that need to be made um, when someone passes, when you're just not, you know, your wits are really not about you. Um, So as a funeral director, that's something I'm very conscious of. I'm very conscious of guiding people and um, listening to what, you know, listening to their needs and and really knowing that they may sound like they're making decisions, but they're not, they're not really, it's, it's a very, it's a very sensitive time period. Um, I think you're pretty much in shock. Um, So And then the other part of my father's passing, which also inspired my recent career, is that um, we had his funeral at my parents' house, his memorial at my parents' house in New Jersey. And um, there was a rabbi who had married me, and he was, he's a, um, he's still around. He's an amazing, very spiritual man, and he came out to New Jersey. We got a car for him. He came to New Jersey. Everyone sat around the living room and basically told stories. And it was very similar to what in the Jewish tradition we have is Shiva, where people tell stories. Um, And this was, this was the memorial. And it was just, it was in my dad's house. It, It was his, you know, the place where he loved to be. And it was just, it was more than just a service that was traditional and speakers lined up and, and people coming to say hello and pay their respects. It was really healing for me because I had t- taken care of my father in his illness and I had tried so hard to, to, to keep him alive. And when I saw my uncle at the memorial, I said to him, I did everything I could. And he said to me, your father never would have wanted to live this way. And I was Mm. like, really? And he said, well, what do you think we talked about on all those walks after Thanksgiving? And I said, oh, my father never wanted to talk about death. He never told us, you know, what Mm -hmm. he wanted. So there's a healing at 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 a funeral or memorial that can happen when you really, when someone doesn't pass away, you know, when, when it's an illness, you, you forget who, 
the person was before the illness. And um, I liked being taken back to the place before he got sick and mm-hmm. to remember him in that way. And, and it was, it was, it was really nice. And um, so after that, I thought, I want to do something with the aging population. I'm not quite sure what to do. And um, I read about a, a mentor of mine, Amy Cunningham, who's here in Brooklyn. And there was an article about her and I met her and she was very generous and told me how hard school was and she was right. (laughs) Um, New York state um, is a really difficult state to become licensed. And it's uh, it's there's schooling, which can take nine months if you're young Mm -hmm. (laughs) and have have brain power Mm -hmm. or it can take two years. And then after two years, there is national boards one has to take in uh, science and in, they call it arts and then a one year residency. And then in New York state, you have to take a New York state law exam. So it's, it's really a process. And the school was incredibly difficult. And I had two young kids at the time and we used to joke that our, our greeting at the end of the day, when we all came back from our day, wasn't how was your day? It was, how do you think you did? Because we all had tests and I was, I was right there with them. And um, so, yeah. It was, and what kind of work did you do before? Before, um, well, I was a mom. I was yep. a stay-at-home mom for um, a number of years. And before that, I worked in advertising. And I did, um, I organized, uh, like, photo shoots. So I would organize the catering. And I would cast the models. And I would find the location and it's basically, aside from um, the, the, disposi- the disposition of the bodies, what I hope to do with memorials now, which mm. is to um, do them in unique locations, really listen to the families and, and get a sense of something that might, might be healing to them, might be something they want to do for the, for the person who passed. Um, so yeah. So when I was in school, interestingly enough, the Dean called me in one day and she sat me down and she said, you know, Caroline, you're really not interested in the sciences and you're really not interested in, you know, the anatomy. And we know you want to, you know, plan these, you know, memorials. So why don't you hook up with a funeral home and and just do that? And I said, well, you know, I really want to do the whole thing. I want to do the whole, the whole process. And what we're seeing here, I'm not sure I've, I've noticed it here is that there are, there are event planners who are now starting to take on funerals. There's a couple of companies I've noticed and that's great. I feel like though the first five days, like I mentioned, um, are really key and that's, and that's a big part of it. So, um, I, I like both. I mean, I like helping the families through that, the, that acute time. And then I also like the creative process of finding something really unique and great that we can do, you know, for a memorial. Mm, yeah. So, you're saying it was after your father's death 
or was it or was it further down the line that you decided this was the pathway to go into? Um, it, it was really after his death and it was really this, you know, memorial that we had that was just so, it was, it was just so healing and um, just planning it was just part of the healing. And it, it, yeah, it was really after that that I thought I really want to help people. I really want to help people um, somewhere in that arena. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a funeral director. Mm. And yeah, so. Can I stop and ask you a question here? Uh I'm just going to be really blunt because it's a little bit like your um, person calling you into the office (laughs) to talk to you. (laughs) Because there is such a, there's a big gap in my mind between the intensity of mortuary science, working with the bodies, et cetera, and doing the funerals and working with the families in that way. What, what got you over that gap that, you know, that's intense stuff, isn't it? What, what got you into that space where you felt like you were willing and ready to go, go as far into it as you needed to with your training and your work with the actual, um, taking care of the dead body, et cetera? Um, you know, it's something, it, it, it wasn't at first my milieu. It's something that I have come to do. And I understand, I, I understand the meaning of it. And I understand um, how important it is. And while it started out as a means to an end, I actually, um, I actually have, I have, I have found ways to, um, to, to, I, I don't want to say enjoy, but, but there's, it's, it's a, it's a very sacred, um, part of the job. In fact, while I was interning, um, uh, there was a, there was a, a young boy that had passed away and, um, all the old school guys in the funeral home said, Oh, Caroline's going to, you know, she's, you know, this is going to be really hard. She's going to, she's going to freak out. And, you know, it's because I have young kids and, um, and then I came to my desk and next to my desk was um, a bag. And I, you know, I knew what it was before I even looked at it. And it was, it was, um, had been dropped off by the family to put in the casket of this young man. And I took the bag and I went downstairs and I, I placed the items in the casket and I, I did it because I'm a mom and, you know, there's, there's something that's said in, in the Jewish faith, which is the care and the dressing of, the dad is the biggest mitzvah one can do because you can't be thanked for it. And Mm. as a mom, I just needed to do this for another mom. I needed to, to make sure that everything was, you know, the way she would have wanted it. And so, yeah, I will say having the opportunity to, to, to take care of people, it, it, it is, it is, it's, it's a very, it's, it's important. So I, while that's not my, you know, 
focus, I would say, um, whereas that's a, that's a very large part of the focus. I, I appreciate it. And, and, and I will, I will, you know, that's part of it, but it's, it's, there's other pieces to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So is your, is your mother still alive or? No, my mother's not. My mother passed away. It's yeah. She passed away three years ago and she was quite the opposite of my father. She was a planner. She was not afraid of death. She lived to be 91 and, um, Let's see. She smoked. I thought she had smoked since she was 14, but someone told me it was 13. And she um, had one mammogram and never went back for another. And when I got a colonoscopy at 48, she said to me, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, mother, it's a curable cancer. She said, oh, well, I would never, she would, the point is she would never have had treatment if she had something, God forbid. So she never bothered to do any kind of diagnostic tests. Um, so she had planned her, her, what she wanted done. I mean, she basically, you know, I'd go out to dinner with my sister and she, and she'd like, you know, pass out her living will. I mean, she was really, really um, very pragmatic about the whole thing. And, and I do appreciate that because that does make things easier for the family and whether or not a family, um, whether or not a family prepays it is not the issue. It's really about having your wishes known. And if people don't want to talk about it for whatever reason, it can be framed that it's really a gift that you give to those left behind you know I mean yes yeah it's really one thing less that they have to that they have to worry about um and like I said the money can be put with a funeral home in a trust or you can open a joint you know checking account with 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 your with someone with you know with your child or your relative and just so that everyone knows where everything is so there isn't this mad dash you know when when it happens that no one knows where anything is or what someone's wishes are it, it there's enough going on it's sort of like it, it, there's enough surprises that the le- the more you can contain them the better i would say mm-hmm. absolutely um so for your mother's were you informed by everything you had learned thus far with your father's death and the mortuary um, school when you took care of your mother? Did she have it totally prescribed or did you handle that in a different way because of what you had learned along the way? Um, that's an interesting question. I was, I had just finished um school when when she when she passed away and it's interesting because um when it's your own when it's your own it's still 
highly emotional. And although there was more in place, I would say um, there's always something that happens that you don't expect. And um, she died alone. Uh, I mean, she wasn't, she had, um, she had an aide with her, but she died in her New York city apartment. And um, she was not under hospice care. And so what happened was when the police come, um, they bolted the door of her apartment because there, there were three siblings and either they, they just, it was, that was, that was the procedure was to bolt the door. Um, and, um, the procedure for getting that un, unbolted was, was basically having to have the death certificate and going down to court and then having it opened. And, and these are things again, that, you know, you don't, you don't, no one tells you these things. And no. when they happen and you're, 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 you're in shock and you're grieving. Um, although she was old, it was an unexpected passing. Um, you know, it's, you really need someone on the other side with a lot of care and a lot of, um, and a lot of feelings. And I didn't really have that at that time, even though it was sort of my business at the time, I really didn't, I really didn't have that experience. Um, you know, and, um, I could tell the story, but I mean, so basically she was, her, her door was bolted. We needed the death certificate. I was told by the funeral home that it would take, you know, I would have it on in three business days. And I called one of my teachers from school and I asked him, you know, really, does it take that long? And he called the funeral home and the death certificates were hand delivered to me at my door by three o'clock that day. So I just thought, Oh, okay. So it could have been done just wasn't done. And so I just, not to say that every funeral director, you know, is that way, but um, I feel like there's, 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 there's all different, you know, in any business, there's very different people doing different things. And I feel like in the funeral business, maybe there's some room for more compassionate care. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I mean, if you, if she wasn't going immediately to cremation or whatever, you might need clothes, right? Right. Right. And to be told three days. Right. 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 I mean, yeah. So, um, again, there's, there's every situation is different. And I just think in, in this world, there are prescribed ways that things are done and people really don't ask questions. I mean, people Mm. don't know that you can walk into a funeral home and you can say, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? I did a funeral recently for a, a friend of mine and her father passed away and she, um, she was estranged. I mean, she had a complicated relationship with him. She um, had a ste- has a stepfather, and she really wanted to give her father a proper burial, proper Jewish burial. And he died in Florida. 
and um, we managed to to do it. And her stepfather gave her a grave from his family, um, and I drove the body in a in a van to the cemetery. And she met us there with her twin sister and their and their spouses in their own cars. I mean, you don't have to have a hearse. You don't have mm-hmm. to have limos. You don't have to have, you know, uh, there was a lot that, that we were able to trim and still have everything. I think she had more meaning because she didn't have the huge bill at the end of the day that she still had to say, wow, was that, I think you get more closure <laughs> for less money. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more closure, less money. That can be my that can be my uh, slogan, um, and it was wonderful. And it was really it was so nice to be able to to help her and to offer her an option where um, where she might not have had had one before. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like your part of your business is a reframing of traditional what we think of with traditional mortuary and funeral services um is that right at all yeah I would say absolutely I think I think it's um it's it's a reframing it's also listening to people and maybe coming up with new ways and saying hey do you want to do it this way I mean things that they might not have thought they could do and if you do a cremation or even you know, a burial, you can, there's, there's many different options that you can do for a service, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot that you could do. I mean, I, I, yeah. Oh, I was just going to (laughs) ask, so do you have a proper, are you not proper? I don't mean that as in the right way, but Mm a um, physical, do you have a physical funeral home where you take care of the body and everything, or is some of that contracted out? Um, no, in I your just, situation, how does that, how, yeah, just kind of walk us through what your personal business is like, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I am contract, I'm sharing space at a funeral home in, in Brooklyn and that's where the bodies will go, where I will take care of the bodies. Um, if the family wants a viewing, we can arrange for them to come out there and view the body. Um, and if if they if if a family would like to do a service there in in Brooklyn, we can arrange that. If they want to do a service um, with the body present before a cremation, there's you, you can do it at um, uh, Greenwood Cemetery. Also has a chapel where you can have the body present and the body can be cremated directly afterwards or it can be a service and the and the the family can be present or not present for the cremation um there's there's just a lot of options and i think people think that when you have a direct cremation that's all you get and right you can do a direct cremation <clears throat> and you you can you can do a ceremony you can do a service you can do it before during or after and you'll facilitate services within someone's home setting or alternative setting as well, it sounds like. I'm sorry. So you also facilitate services 
within someone's home setting or alternative setting as well? Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've come up with a couple of ideas. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I do yoga and the actual meaning of the word yoga means union. And I feel like, you know, after someone passes, what really happens to the living is that we're uniting the person that we were when our loved one was alive with the person that we are after they pass. And you're really becoming this, you're, you're a new person. You're never going to be the same person. Um, so, I have on um, as one of my options is a yoga and a meditation class and to guide to guide people through through a meditation where they can reflect on, on, on the person who passed away, I think is a really beautiful way to come out feeling feeling somewhat healed almost. Mm, that um, is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um I actually came up with an idea and I'm not sure if I should, you know, promote it yet, but um, I have a friend who has an amazing country house in the Catskills. And I thought, well, you know, people put away seven, $8,000, whether again, whether it's in a traditional pre-plan with a funeral home or it's in a, an account, um, for a traditional funeral. And what if you put this money away and I arranged for the disposition and then we got everybody in a bus and we went to this beautiful farmhouse for two days and ate food and meditated and went for walks and came back two days later and got on with our lives. I mean, for the same amount of money, you could do that. <laughs> That sounds amazing. <laughs> what um, a great concept. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure the destination, you know, their destination weddings. I'm not sure it's going to take off, but it's definitely something that I've thought about. Um, one of my concepts is, is, is that it's funerals for the living and how do we take care of the living while, while, while taking care of, the, the person who's passed, but really how do we take care of those left behind? And, and I think if you ask people what they worry about most when they're dying is, is the people they've left behind and to really put the focus on how I can help people heal and, and what the best route is for them. I mean, unless someone has specifically planned out like my mother did what she wanted and passed it out at, you know, Applebee's when we went to lunch that's that's a great option that's that's the number one option but that if that's not the case really how can we help you how can we help mm -hmm. you heal you need to go back to your life I was a mother with young kids I needed to get my kids to school I needed to be strong no one asked me what do you need you know it was all about all the tasks I had to to get done mm. absolutely I'm just envisioning this gorgeous menu of options mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. because like you said I mean your head's in such a space and especially if it's an unexpected death mm -hmm. you know you the creative the yoga you know that alternative space 
that could totally be what resonates with you, but you're in such a numbed out space. Mm -hmm. All you know Mm -hmm. is traditional, 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 Mm -hmm. that if I saw that, you know, written down as an option, oh, that just sounds so cool to me. (laughs) I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm not just—I am not discrediting people who have a tie to religion and are are religious, and and they're always going to—that's what they're going to do, and that's what they believe. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not saying that that I'm trying to take that market away. I, I respect that market, right? Right. But I'm talking about people who are 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 more spiritual we're becoming more spiritual and less tied to a specific religion and you know what i say is let's just be real it's the woodstock generation you know the the alternative thinkers the hippies for lack of a better term are a huge faction of who are now dying right and just like that there was a movement to take death back and do death differently or, or I'm sorry, take birth, birth mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. and do birth in the home and, mm-hmm. and deinstitutionalize it. There's a wave. And that's, mm-hmm. it's because of your dying demographic that mm-hmm. there's a wave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, best, best to meet them. And I'm mm-hmm. with you. There's always mm-hmm. going to be the need for traditional, very, very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I do think anybody in the funeral industry right now, and if you're listening <laughs> and you're out there, you know, this is not an either or kind of thing. You right. know, this is about just being inclusive as we right. are preached to be inclusive in all areas of business and all areas of life. This is an area where, you know, it, it would serve people in the funeral industry well to look at, um, widening their menu for those people because there are going to be more and more people that maybe can't do it themselves, you know, and drive Mm -hmm. the body Mm -hmm. to the crematorium themselves, but want Mm -hmm. somebody that can facilitate something that feels almost that natural or almost that low key. Yeah. Right. Well, the state I live in New York is one of only seven States left where it is a law that a person that, that, that one needs to call a funeral director when someone dies. So it's a law here. Wow. So, okay. Um, so here it's really not an option to, to do it oneself. And, um, oh, really, and I'm sure I'm thinking New Zealand. Yeah. I'm sure in a lot of those States, I'm not up on that at all. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's much tighter regulations. Right. Mm. Right. And it's just really, it's really about, listening and and collaborating and doing as little or as much as someone wishes really really to get their wishes met I think is what helps you walk away without you know a bad taste in your mouth and then not thinking about it till you have to do it again and then you do it again and nothing's really changed so I think that there's definitely um yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's exciting. And it's really exciting to help people. And it's really exciting when people get something that's, um, that that's really meaningful. I mean, to go back to what my past work was, which was, uh, you know, it's not to not to diminish what it takes to plan a funeral and what it takes to, um, care for the body because the definition of a funeral director truly is the caretaker of, of the body. Um, but you know, in the, 
in, in this world where, for instance, with my friend, to find the rabbi that I thought matched for this family was, was casting, right? It's casting. If you don't have a family rabbi or a family priest, you're putting together two people. And this rabbi, you know, was so amazing and really said some things that were just incredible. And for not knowing the family really helped them, um, help them have a lot of closure. I mean, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, yes, we've all been to the funerals, or most of us have, where the person officiating, it's very, very clear they don't know the person that they're talking about. And right. there is a huge sense of disconnect with that. Right, right. No, I loved what this rabbi said. I'll share it because, um, like I said, the father was estranged. And, and the rabbi said, you know, no matter what um, struggles your father had during his time here, he also had the two of you and look at what you're doing for him now. He, he, he did, he made, he made you who you are. And it just really gave them, it gave us all like, Oh, this all makes sense. This is amazing. And it was just, it was really beautiful. It was just really beautiful. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And, and I just, you know, we'll put in a little, personal experience here back to receptiveness within the funeral industry um was so relieved and thrilled when in michigan we were met um with just nothing but enthusiasm and support and even direction with how to keep my brother home as long as possible Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so and that's what that's what we're, we're needing isn't it that's that's what we're needing is to um step away from um those messages mm-hmm. of nope sorry you can't do it mm-hmm. your way mm-hmm. right <laughs> nope. yeah and and that just that gentle opening of how can we help you right we and as he said i understand that this is a is happening this is moving. We did an embalmment, you know, and I, and I, and you're the first person we've ever, you know, where you're the first family we've ever done this for. And we are happy to step into the space, which that's incredible. Yeah, it was beautiful. We were so very fortunate. Um, so, and good I on you. Feel, yeah. Go on. No. no, I also feel that whereas my focus is not the home funeral, I, 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 I would, I would recommend Mike, mentors and other people in the business who who focus on that and I think Mm -hmm. that there's a there's a new wave of um I will say women who are in the in this industry and and I and I I see us as collaborators and I see and I and I if if that if I wasn't comfortable facilitating a home funeral I would recommend someone who would you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't say no you can't do it because Mm -hmm. that's not that's not what's best for the family. So. Well, and in this situation, they weren't even involved until it was time to pick him up. You I know, it was see. just us doing a personal vigil at uh, home. Yeah. And they just made it very, very clear. You, it was, if, if they had a motto for ours, it was, you do you. You know, oh, it's, we, that's we amazing. Can be, yeah. They were like, we, oh. if you want to call us at three in the morning, just know we can be there with right. an hour. Right. Just when you decide it's long enough. And then, right. we, and then it was the more traditional church funeral at the end. So, yeah, it's just 
really, as we sit here and unpack it a bit, the, um, the options become quite infinite, don't they, of how a person can walk this, walk this trail when mm-hmm. it comes to you. And mm-hmm. I guess it goes back to, as you said, you know, th- as much as you can have these conversations beforehand with your families mm-hmm. and have an idea what the person wants, all the better. Right. I mean, but bless you for doing this work (laughs) and for facilitating those difficult, difficult conversations. And um, I just wanted to ask you, how does doing this work and making the decision to this work to do this work? This is this may feel like a big question, but how how is it have you walking differently in the world than previously? Um, This is a huge commitment you've taken on for your life yeah I feel like I feel I I like having the knowledge to be able to um to talk to people about it I mean you know whether it's taking on the the funeral myself or or talking to you know a friend's mother in another state I mean I feel like there's a lot of knowledge that I have and I really I I feel really um fortunate to have it because it's a lot and and I still need there's a lot I still need to learn um and how has it made me different it just it really you know it's kind of it's kind of in your life whether it's in your life or it's not I mean it's it's in my life because it's my job. And um, I think maybe my kids have sort of um, have sort of made normalized it for me in a, in a way. I mean, my kids really, it's just sort of part of their world. And um, they're very matter of fact about it. There was a, there was a service um, at the funeral home I was resident, uh, resident in and it happened to be someone that my son, a, a mother of someone that my son knew. And I texted him and I said, look, I just want you to know this because, um, you know, he was your classmate. I want to give you the option if you want to come to pay your respects. And he's, he just, as, as any teenager would text me back in one word, he said no. And then I figured that was it. And then five minutes later, I looked at my phone and he had texted get a less depressing job. So, mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he was like, I didn't need to hear that today. Um, but mm-hmm. um, they're very matter, matter of fact about it. And, and they sort of, again, the, the opposite of how I grew up, which was hiding it in the closets. It's, it's really out there for them. And um, like anything else, if if you grow up with it, it doesn't become a taboo. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it makes you appreciate life. But I, I, I feel like, I feel like everyone kind of appreciates life these days. I don't think we take it so much for granted. Mm. Or maybe. Yeah, well, maybe some people, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> some of us at times, yes. Well, Carolyn, I want to thank you oh so much gosh. for talking with us today. This and great. we'll have your details about how can p- people can get in touch with you. But why don't you just go on and shout that out if you don't mind? Sure. Yeah. Um, the website is www.d 
dtefunerals.com. It's down to earth funerals. And um, yeah, that's, that's my website. And um, I really, um, I really, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. If, you know, if people just need to talk, if they just need advice, it's really, it's, 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 it's part of the process and, uh, you know, I'm happy to help people. Beautiful, beautiful. And I just want to circle back to something that you said earlier, and that was how some of us have been raised to be afraid of death, and therefore we stay afraid of death. And I just want to thank you for coming on today, because I'll add a caveat to that, that part of our project is about getting these conversations out in the closet. And maybe that can change a little bit when people are taught that there are different ways or they're shown that there are different ways. And although it can still be a very confronting area of our lives, death can, and it can be very sad and tragic and horrible that maybe we can ease into it and we don't have to be afraid of it. And your conversation today has helped us with that, Caroline. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. And thank you listeners for joining in and Hope you enjoyed this and see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.